Thank you for tuning in to Trinity Baptist Temple's podcast. I'm Pastor Kyle Dinsmore, and I pray today's sermon is a blessing to you as you continue to seek the Lord and follow His will for your life. If you have any questions, please feel free to contact us. God bless you. Last week, we, um, we had two vital points. I want to remind you of that. Number one was we must be sensitive to hear and receive the word of God. And then number two was we must be sensitive to needs in the work of God. And uh, it, it's so important for us to remember the word of God uh, is, is supposed to impact us both individually and corporately like we're, we're here now. Opening up the word of God, whether it's in Sunday school class or a Bible study or a worship service, it's supposed to impact us here. But it's also supposed to impact us on a daily basis when we're individually engaging the Word of God. But the thing that we talked about was we have to make deliberate effort to hear and receive it. We've got to make sure that we're not just going through the motions, that we're not just sitting through a service or sitting through a Sunday school class. We've got to make sure that our flesh doesn't get the best of us in the times that we're engaged in the Word of God and just kind of lose the moment or lose what God's trying to say to us. Again, it's got to be a deliberate effort. I want to remind you also what we talked about. The problem isn't the Word of God. The Word of God is powerful enough. It's quick. It's sharper than a two-edged sword. It pierces to the dividing asunder. It saves us. I mean, it's, it has the power of God for salvation. It contains the gospel. The Word of God is not the problem. In most cases, it's not the speaker that's the problem. And, and we talked about that because it was Jesus that was talking to his disciples. Uh, now, if you, you, we can't understand how important that is, that you can't get a better speaker of the Word of God than the Word of God Himself. And so His disciples didn't hear, didn't receive, didn't understand from the very uh, source of, of the Word of God. And so it wasn't the problem with the speaker. And we, we talked about even today, most of the time when the Word of God isn't heard and received doesn't take the effect that God intends it to, it's because of us. It's us who are receiving it or not receiving it the way that God wants us to. And so. Um, we got to make sure that we're making that deliberate effort. And then that second point was about making sure that we're not just going through the motions, making sure that we're not just so engaged in the, in the work of God that we miss the needs along the way. Uh, because remember, that's what the work of God is all about, people. Uh, it's not about getting certain things done and, and, and tasks and checking off check marks. Uh, it's about people. That's why God came to this earth. God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son. It's about souls. And so we've got to remember there's needs in the work of God that we can't miss, just like the disciples miss. And so we're going to move forward this morning in this journey with Jesus. So I want to pray, and we'll jump right into it. Father, thank you for this time. Again, we thank you for the opportunity to worship you. Thank you so much for the music uh, that we've already uh, had the opportunity to offer up to you, uh, the praise songs, the specials. Uh, Lord, we're so thankful for your grace, the sufficient grace that you give to us every day. And Lord, we thank you for that opportunity now in your grace to open up your word and to hear it, to receive it. And I pray that we would do that, Lord, that today we wouldn't miss the opportunity in this moment uh, to hear your word and to receive it and to let it take effect in our lives, Lord. I pray you would start with me in that, uh, that you would move throughout this building, that you would be present, and that your Holy Spirit would have full reign and full access to our lives. And Lord, if there's someone here this morning who hasn't surrendered their all to you, they, they maybe know what you've done. They have maybe been to church many times. They maybe even say that they believe what you did, but they know in their heart they've never surrendered their life to you. They've never given up all what it takes to be saved. Um, Lord, we know that we can't do anything, but our, our only part is that surrender, that trust in you. So if there's someone that's never done that, Lord, I pray you move this morning. 
that your spirit would bring about conviction and they would, they would allow you to do that saving work in their life. They'd be born again. Lord, just have your way in this service. Lord, we'll praise you for everything. We'll give you the glory for it all because it's all about you anyways. So we ask and pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have your Bibles, you can turn them to Luke chapter 19 if you're not already there. Uh, hopefully you got some notes and you can follow along in that as we go through this. I'm going to begin in verse 1. It says this, And Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. And remember, they're on their way to Jerusalem. He's already told his disciples why they're going to Jerusalem. He's going to, to, to die and to be raised again the third day. They didn't understand that. Now a couple of times they haven't understood that. The whole purpose of his, his coming to the earth. Uh, they've missed the point of the kingdom of God so far. They're just, uh, and we've talked about this, we're going to see it a little bit more in just a second. They're, they're thinking that they're on this, maybe this fame ride, this power trip. Uh, I don't really know. The Bible doesn't tell us that, but they were missing the point of it along the way. Uh, they were arguing over who was going to be the greatest in the kingdom of God. Uh, they were just missing it. And so they're passing through Jericho on their way to, to, to Jerusalem. And it says there was a man named Zacchaeus, which was chief among the publicans, and he was rich. That's important to, to understand because Jesus has already had some discussions, some teachings, some encounters with those who have money, those who are rich. We'll talk about that in a second as well. But it's identifying this man as a chief among the publicans and a very rich person. He goes on to say, and he sought to see Jesus who he was. Again, word had got around. People heard that Jesus of Nazareth was going through. Zacchaeus ran ahead, but he couldn't see Jesus because he was of little stature, the Bible says. And so he ran up ahead and climbed up in a sycamore tree to see him because he was to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and he saw him and he said unto him, Zacchaeus. Now listen to these three things that Jesus tells him to do. First thing he tells him to do is to make haste. Do this in a quick way. Second thing, he tells him to come down, and the reason, the third thing is the reason. He says, because I'm going to go to your house today. So three things he told Zacchaeus, be quick about this, come down, because I'm going to your house. And verse 6 says, he made haste, he came down, and he received him joyful into his house. This was talking about. It goes on to say in verse 7, and when they saw it, the people, they all murmured, saying that he was gone to be a guest with a man that's a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said unto the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I've taken anything from any man by false accusation, I restore to him four, or restore him fourfold. And Jesus said unto him, This day is salvation come to this house, for so much as he also is a son of Abraham. Now listen to verse 10. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. The Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Point number one in your notes this morning is this. The mission of the king, but also the kingdom, is to save the lost. The mission of the king, the mission of the kingdom, is to save the lost. And we've seen similar points in this study before. But we've got to make sure that we've grasped the importance when there are recurring points or the recurring themes throughout this journey with Jesus. We've got to make sure that we say, okay, this is another time that we see the mission being made clear of why Jesus is walking on this earth. Understanding the mission is, is vital. It's eternally vital. To understand how serious this is, it, uh, it can't be explained. Uh, George Washington, addressing the Continental Congress in 1776, said this. 
He said, the time is now near at hand, which must probably determine whether Americans are to be freemen or slaves, whether they're to have property they can call their own, whether their houses and farms are to be pillaged and destroyed, and they in themselves consigned or committed to a state of wretchedness from which no human effort will deliver them. Listen to what he says next. The fate of unborn millions will now depend under God on the courage and the conduct of this army. Our cruel and unrelenting, unrelenting enemy leaves us the, only the choice of brave re- resistance or the most abject submission. We have therefore to resolve to conquer or die. Again, ad- addressing the, the Continental Congress, addressing the, talking about the army that was to secure the freedom of America. He saw the gravity of the mission. He saw that if, if we didn't give ourselves wholly to this cause, that it's not only our lives, our farms, our lands, our freedom, all, all of the things that we all desire and hold dear and, and, and can envision in America in the future, but it's the unborn millions of Americans, future Americans, who will be robbed of this blessing as well. If we don't give ourselves to this cause wholeheartedly. He says the only choice is brave resistance or the most abject submission. He said, so he said our, 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 the response that we have to this then is to either conquer or die. What if that army had missed the purpose of the fight back then? 1776, what if, what if that, that army would have not seen the vision, wouldn't have understood the mission, wouldn't have understood the gravity of the situation at hand? If they said, you know what? I mean, it, we realize that this is an important battle to fight, but is it really that big of a deal, George? <laughs> is it really that big of a deal, General? Does it really mean that much? I mean, unborn millions will be affected if we don't give ourselves wholeheartedly to this? Or if they miss, miss the mission altogether? Think about this. Would we even be here today? And, and, and when I say here, I mean in every sense of the word. Here, period. Here in this place freely. Here sitting here with the word of God in our laps. Would we be here had that army not given themselves the way they gave themselves? He said unborn millions. And I believe he's talking about us. But I think that same question could be asked of us in eternity. If we were to be able to fast forward to our, our heavenly uh, home, I, I believe that same question could be asked as the army of God. The millions in the lake of fire or the potential people in the kingdom of God. What if we don't give ourselves wholeheartedly to the purpose what if we don't have the same resolve as that army did? 
Again, it was a, an amazing blessing, and, and as he said, he, he, he acknowledged under God, it's going to be under God's blessing, under God's hand, that this happens, but he realized how important it was for America to exist, for the unborn millions to exist and, and enjoy the blessings of America. And so they, at that point in time, counted the cost and said, we realize we've got a call to answer. We've got to give ourselves wholly to this cause. And while it had eternal ramifications, it was a temporal purpose that they gave themselves to. Did you hear that? There was eternal ramifications. In other words, again, we're sitting here today in a free America, free religiously to worship God, to spread the gospel, and it's, it's, it's done. So there's eternal ramifications with it, absolutely. But the cause they were giving themselves for, they saw had eternal ramifications, but they knew it was a temporal cause. They were trying to flee the tyranny from Britain. They were trying to get themselves their own freedom in America. It's a temporal cause. The cause that you and I here today are for is an eternal cause, an eternal mission. And again, it, it can never be understated. It can never be undervalued. We've got to grasp this. A recurring theme. The mission of the king, the mission of the kingdom is to save the lost. This Bible story has been used in Sunday school classes. It seems like forever. I know I, I've been in church and I've heard it all my life. Z Zacchaeus, the songs. Zacchaeus was a wee little man and a wee little man was he. You know, we, 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 many of us sang that song. Many of you teach that to your kids, teach it in Sunday school class. Very familiar um, story. But it has so many lessons that are very valuable. And I want to point out just a few of these things, important details and truths in this. The first thing was this. There have been two people now saved in Jericho. The first one was an outcast. He was a blind man sitting by the, the, the roadside. And he wanted, to, he wanted Jesus to touch him. He wanted Jesus to heal him of his blindness. He was an outcast of society because of his infirmity. The second person now is another outcast because of his profession. He was a Jew that was hired by the Roman army, or the Roman government, I'm sorry, uh, to, to collect taxes. And the reason why the Jews hated him is because they were Jews working for the Roman government. The reason why uh, they, they also hated them was they took advantage of people, just as he admitted himself. They stole from the people. They extorted money. They, they were, were criminals. We would call them today the IRS. They would. We would. So two outcasts of society have been saved now here in Jericho. The second truth or important detail to, to understand is juxtaposed or set aside to compare with the rich young ruler, Zacchaeus was also wealthy. But he had a completely different interaction with Jesus as the rich young ruler did. What was the rich young ruler doing? The Bible says he ran up to Jesus and said, Good master, what must I do to be saved? Jesus told him you've got to keep the commandments. He said, oh, I've done that since I was my youth up, since I was a young person. He said, go sell all you have and give it to the poor and then come and follow me. The Bible says that he went away saddened because he had great riches. He wasn't willing to de depart from his God, little g, riches. Zacchaeus, however, was so desperate that he ran ahead of the crowd. He had to just see Jesus. He got up in this tree. He was doing anything and everything he could, could do to have this experience with him, yet in a, in a humble way. He didn't run up to him boldly. Jesus approached him, saw him, said, Zacchaeus, come down. Make, make haste, come down. So I'm going to come to your house today. And the Bible says that Zacchaeus responded to him in a completely different way. And I believe it's because he was in a different place. His heart was in a different place than the rich young ruler. 
But this is also, number three is this, that this is an illustration of what Jesus said in chapter 18, verse 24, responding to the rich young ruler's response. He says he saw that he was very sorrowful. He said, how hardly shall they that have riches enter the kingdom of God? It's easier for a camel to go through the, uh, the needle's eye than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And they that heard it said, who, who then can be saved? Listen to what Jesus said. The things that are impossible with men are possible with God. He didn't say that it was impossible, but as men say, see it, this is impossible. How, how can this happen? Then, if you say it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter heaven, because it has to be God's way. It has to be the power of God that does it. And so we see that in, in this illustration with, with Zacchaeus. That the fourth thing is this. He had a willingness. He had a surrender to all. And that was seen in his haste to, to come down and receive Jesus in his house. The fifth truth or the fifth point that I think is important is this, and it's going to lead us into our next, next main point, is there was evidence of a changed life. Someone who had served money in his profession, his money was his God. He, he was willing to cheat and steal and, and to get more of it. The Bible says he was rich. Someone who had served money, the Bible says, gave away half of all that he owned to the poor. But beyond that, it says that he was going to repay the people that he had extorted money from, that he had wronged. He was going to repay them fourfold, four times what he took from them. That's, that's an amazing amount. That's not just, uh, and, and most, most scholars believe that what that meant for him, what that would cost him is the rest of his riches. That, that's what people believe. They believe that the first half was giving away to the poor, the, the second half of his riches or his increase was all the extra that he had making off of people, stealing from them, giving it away, uh, giving back to those people. And so this man, we see, turned away from his God, little G money, and turned to God. And something that the rich young ruler didn't do. It's a very important truth, and, and I want to hone in on this, this last point there, that lifestyle change. The change of his heart, the change of his mind, the change of his attitude, the direction that his life was going, the purpose that he was living in, all of those things changed because it was a result of a changed person. And that's the power of God. That's the power of salvation. Whenever someone truly is saved, their life is absolutely changed. We've talked about this before as well. If your life hasn't changed or your life didn't change when you say that you got saved or you, you said a prayer or you made a decision or whatever, if there was no change, then you've got to take a real serious look, take a real serious evaluation on whether you really are saved, really, you really are born again going to heaven. The reason I say that is because every single instance in Scripture, every single instance, period, there's an absolute change in the lives of those who get saved. Every single instance. There's not one that you can say, well, this one, no. Every single instance when someone is saved, their life is changed. Now, not everyone's story, not everyone's life change or changes in the same way. But be it known, everyone's life is changed who's saved. Scripture is clear on this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. It says... Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. 
And so again, if you're here this morning, you say, I've been in church my whole life and, and uh, uh, I, uh, I, I, I think I'm going to heaven. But you don't know for sure there was a change. I was 10 years old when I got saved. I was, uh, you know, there was not a whole lot of time for me to become a, a, a wretched heathen. I mean, I had plenty of sins I would say to account for at the age of 10 even. But I hadn't gone out and lived in the world and, 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 and all those things. I hadn't done that. But I can tell you this. There was an absolute change in my life at 10 years old. I remember it. I remember the change from the inside, the change in my heart, the change in my mind, uh, the change in my desires. It's been said before that when you get saved, your want to or get saved. You used to want to do these other things, and when you get saved, you don't want to do those anymore. You want to do what God wants you to do. So there's an absolute change when someone's life is truly saved. Point number two is this. The Messiah transforms those he saves. His, his mission is to come and to save those that, that need salvation. He, he's come to uh, be a physician to the sick, not to the, to the well. He, he's come to seek and save those who are lost. When he saves them, they are transformed. See, I believe one of the greatest witnessing tools, and the Bible talks about this. We see the illustration in the Apostle Paul's life. One of the greatest witnessing, witnessing tools is a changed life. Someone's life who has been on one path, and then has been redirected by the power of God and put on the path that's narrow and leads to life everlasting. When people see a life that's been transformed, a new person brought forth, when they see that, it speaks to the truth of the gospel. It speaks to the truth of the word of God and power of it. Now, understand this. The, the gospel doesn't need substantiation. It doesn't need our, our lives to testify that it's true. It's true alone. But when our lives point back to it, it helps shine that light of the gospel in this dark world. And so since this is true, we have to ask the question, what does it mean for the life that isn't changed? What does it mean for the person, the soul, who doesn't live in line with the gospel's transforming power? What does it mean for them? Where do they stand? I have no power in myself to judge someone's salvation. God alone has that power to judge a person's salvation. But I believe when our lives don't line up with the gospel, when our lives don't line up with a life that's been transformed by the power of God, the power of the gospel, and we don't have a life that lines up with that, I believe it does hurt, and I believe it hinders the vehicle, which the vehicle is the church of Jesus Christ. It hinders the voice. It hinders the design that God has put in place in this world right now to see the lost saved. See, it's when our lives don't line up with the gospel, when our lives don't line up with the word of God, when, when, it, when it's not a changed life that this world sees, the world cries, hypocrites. They do. And the truth is, this world is full of hypocrites. This room is full of hypocrites. We're all hypocrites. I'm not saying intentionally. I'm not saying that we're living a hypocritical life intentionally. Maybe there's some people in here living like that. But if we look at the definition of hypocrites, we would all fit in there at some point in time. But the world looks and sees these people that say they're Christians 
And not, it's not so much about crossing every T and dotting every I and checking every box and, and doing all these things that Christians are supposed to do. But a lot of times the world sees people who profess to be Christians who don't even display the desire to follow the gospel, to follow the word of God. And that's where it hits home. Because people see hearts, people see purposes, people see desires. See, it's, it's like this. It's hard to get behind something when somebody is doing something out of obligation or responsibility. It is. Think about your job. There's certain things maybe you're asked to do, and you don't really want to do it. You don't really love doing it. But you do it because it's your obligation. It's hard for you to get other people, even on your team or a part of the, 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 the job, to be a part of that or to see the need in that or to help with you in that. It's hard for that, especially when you're the one having the problem with having the desire. But when you have a passion for something, when you have a desire for something, when you want to do something, you find it a little easier to build that team, to build that uh, people to, to buy into it as well. I think the world sees a lot of people that profess to be Christians and maybe doing things out of responsibility or obligation, but not because they desire to follow Jesus Christ, not because they desire to fulfill his mission. What, what would change in our world if just churches like this, 200, 300 people, got up every single day, and their greatest desire was to fulfill their Lord's commands, was to walk in his ways, was to fulfill his mission. What if, what if that would happen? I would tell you what happened. It would start affecting the world like the apostles affected the world. So much so that they say, hey, these people have come to our city and they've turned the world upside down. I think that's what would happen. That's how God's designed it. That's the power of God working in his church and through his people. But when we simply operate and work out of obligation, not because of a changed life, not because of a, a, a transformed desire, and the world looks back and says, I, I, don't, I would rather not do that. It's not, it doesn't seem very not, not encouraging. So, yeah, but they're not going to want the light. That's true. But our lives should test, testify to the change that has happened in us. And that should, that should bring about a, at least a curiosity in them. Philippians chapter 1, verse 27 says, Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. That means that the conversation word has to do with citizenship. And so it's talking about being a citizen. So if we look at it and read it that way, it's talking about your identity, your, your lifestyle, who you're identified as. It would say like this. Your behavior, your lifestyle as a citizen of heaven should be worthy of the gospel. It should match up. It should point to the gospel. That's what that verse says. So our lives as the children of God are to clearly be in contrast with those who haven't been changed, with those who haven't had their lives transformed by the power of the gospel, by the, the Holy Spirit. Our lives should be in complete contrast. And make no mistake, that doesn't make us better. That doesn't make us more righteous in our own right. It doesn't make us, the Bible says there's none righteous, no, not one, in our own selves. 
Again, it doesn't make us better. It makes us redeemed. It makes us change. 2 Corinthians chapter 6 says this, Be you not unequally yoked together with unbelievers? What fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? What communion hath light with darkness? What agreement do they have? These rhetorical questions, there's none. There's no agreement there. What concord hath Christ with Belial? Or what part hath he, hath, he hath, I'm sorry, hath he that believeth with an infidel? What agreement hath the temple of God with the idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk with them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. So in light of these things, he says, Wherefore come out from among them, be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing. I will receive you and be a father unto you, shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord our Almighty. Now, this is very clear. Our lives are to be in contrast. That we're to live as citizens of heaven, the lives that, that, are, that are becoming, that line up with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're to be separate from the world. People should be able to see our lives and very easily say, those people are different from all the rest of those people. That's the truth of our lives. Now, with that being said, it doesn't mean that we will not have any communication, that we will not have any contact with the lost world. Matter of fact, Jesus just illustrated the opposite. He walks up to Zacchaeus, a sinner, and says, come down, I want to go to your house today. He was all engaged. They, they were saying, look, how, look at this man, he's, he's a friend of sinners. He's going into sinners' homes. It's absolutely what Jesus was about because he's come to seek and save that which was lost. It doesn't mean that we don't have contact or communication. What it means is we don't have partnerships or even relationships. It doesn't mean that we don't have friendships with lost people. We should. We should be friendly. We should be trying to reach them, though. Jesus didn't have, there was no uh, point, uh, pointless reason uh, that he said he wanted to go to Zacchaeus' house. There was no, it, it wasn't just, hey, I just want to hang out with you today. You seem like a cool short guy, you know? It's not what it was. He has, he has a purpose. He had a very clear purpose why he wanted to be with Zacchaeus that day. It said he'd come to seek and save that which was lost. If you know that you have a lost friend, your objective in that relationship or in that friendship shouldn't be just to hang out. If you know they're lost, you believe with everything inside you, you believe they're lost, shouldn't be just to hang out. See, there's no true fellowship without the Spirit of God. Light doesn't have anything to do with darkness, the Bible says. But your objective should be to be the light, to share the love of Jesus Christ with them, to be sincere as you shine the light of the glorious gospel that's in you, that shined on you. And that should happen through your attitude. It should happen through your actions. It should happen through your speech. Even further, to date a lost person, or to go further, to marry a lost person, or to enter into a business partnership, don't do it. Come out from them to be separate. Don't be unequally yoked. And maybe even a little more pointedly what Paul was talking about, to the Corinthians. Don't be yoked with false prophets. Don't be yoked with false doctrine. 
Now, I'm not going to try to meddle, maybe a little bit, but <laughs> there may be certain people that you watch on TV that are false prophets. Come out from among them and be separate. You say, well, I, I just want to know what's going on. I find his vo voice so appealing. I find his, his words so soothing. His messages so encouraging. I find the excitement so, so inspiring. Don't have anything to do with them. We are the transformed saints of the King of Kings, of the living God. And we're to live in this world as such. And we're to be clearly seen as such. Not to be put on some type of self-righteous front. Not to put on some type of better-than-thou front. Not some type of, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm righteous and you're not, not that at all. But sincerely, every day, getting up and wanting, desiring to live for our Lord, to live for our King, to accomplish His mission, the reason He's left us here, to live in, in obedience to Him because our lives are submitted to Him. That should be the goal of our lives every day. And along the way, we have tasks to do. We have papers to fill out and bills to pay and, and, and jobs to accomplish. But our purpose is a kingdom, an eternal purpose. That should be what the world sees. That should be what the world takes from, that's what Christians are all about. They're always inviting me to church. They're always talking about Jesus. They're always talking about heaven. They're always talking about how to be saved. They're always a, have a joyful look, even when they're going through uh, sad times and, and, and they can even cry, but there's, there's a hope in their eyes. There's a joy. There's, there, there's something different about those people. That's what the world should see. Back in our text, it says in verse 11, as they heard these things, he added and spake unto them a parable because he was nigh in Jerusalem. He's getting close to Jerusalem. And because, listen to this, because they thought that the kingdom of God should immediately appear. And remember, we've already talked about presumption. We've already talked about assumptions. We've already talked about having our own agendas and our own ideas about what God wants and what his plan is and how we fit into it and what we're supposed to be doing. We can really get things messed up. And even last week, we talked about that. That the disciples, the apostles walking with God in the flesh, their presumptions, their assumptions kept them from hearing and receiving the truth spoken right to them. They had their own agenda. They had their own mind made up. And the Bible tells us here is that they thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear immediately. Again, we've got to be careful to guard against that still today. In verse 12, he said, Therefore a certain nobleman went to a far country to receive himself a kingdom and then to return. Well, let's make this clear. Jesus is talking about himself. He's talking about leaving heaven, coming to a far country, and then he was going to return after he got the kingdom. And he, he called ten servants and delivered them ten pounds. He said to them, Occupy. What does that word occupy mean? It doesn't mean just hang out, sit there, live there. It doesn't mean that. The word occupy actually means engage in business. That's what it means. So Jesus tells these, or the, the, the nobleman tells his ten servants, I want you to engage in business until I come back. Let's just stop for a second. That's exactly what Jesus has told us to do. To engage in his business until he returns. 
That's what it is. And so he's given this illustration, this story, this parable. He says, engage in business till I come. But listen to verse 14. But his citizens hated him and sent a message after him saying, we will not have this man to reign over us. And it came to pass that when he was returned, having received the kingdom, then he commanded these servants to be called unto him to whom he had given the money, that he might know how much every man had gained by trading or working. Then came the first, saying, Lord, thy pound hath gained ten pounds. And he said unto him, Well, thou good servant, because thou hast been faithful in very little, in a very little time, with very little responsibility, with very little uh, effort, because you've been faithful like that, have, uh, have thou authority over ten cities. The second came, saying, Lord, thy pound hath gained five pounds. He said likewise to him, Be thou also over five cities. And another came, saying, Lord, behold, here's thy pound, which I have kept laid up in a napkin. And here's the reasoning. It's because I feared thee, because you're an austere man. Thou takest up that thou layest not down, and reapest that thou dost not sow. And he said unto him, Out of thine own mouth will I judge thee, thou wicked servant. Thou knewest that I was an austere man. You knew, you knew that I had authority over everything, even the things that I didn't physically plant myself. I have authority over it all. I'm the owner of it all. You knew this. And you knew that I would be just and I would be strict, and I would be to the very T of what I said I would do. You knew all these things about me, and yet you didn't even do anything with what I gave you. Wherefore, then got, gavest thou not my money into the bank, that at my coming I might have required my own with the usury. Why well, didn't even do anything to even get a little bit of interest to what I gave you? You didn't, you didn't add anything to it. You just had your golden ticket to heaven. And you sat on it. Because you knew you were safe. And that's all you were concerned about. And he said unto them that stood by, Take from him the pound, and give it to him that has ten. And they said unto him, Lord, he has ten pounds. And Jesus said, I say unto you that unto every one which hath shall be given. From him that hath not, even that he hath shall be taken away from him. But those mine enemies, which would not that I should reign over them, bring hither and slay them before me. Point number three is the motivation for service is trust in Messiah and his words. Motivation for service is a trust, or is trust, in the Messiah, in his words. See, in the story, there were two that had heard. They believed, and they obeyed. They responded. He said, work, engage in business until I come. They heard him, they trusted him, and they obeyed based off of that. And the Bible says that they were rewarded accordingly. Ten cities, five cities, you will be rewarded for this. And there's this one that heard, and then we see that he obviously rejected or he reasoned in his own wisdom, and he disobeyed, and he was judged accordingly. Now I want you to also notice the judgment of the enemies, which said that they would not have him rule over them. We won't have him rule over us. He won't be our God. He will not be our Lord. 
we're not going to follow him. Their judgment was destruction. Let's not be mistaken, this is talking about eternal destruction, eternal torment. We've already seen who this group is. First of all, it's the group that Jesus came into. The Bible says he came into his own, his own received him not. It's those Jews, those religious Jews who, who, who had their own idea. They didn't want Jesus. They didn't want the Lord. They wanted a king that would suit their, their needs. They wanted a God that would suit their, their needs, and they had formed that in their own religion. But secondly, it's speaking to everyone who rejects him. Everyone who, who chooses to remain an enemy of God because they choose to remain in sin, because they choose to remain in unbelief, because they refuse to make Christ both Savior and Lord. That's that group. But I want you to think about this. We've talked about this before. Enemies of God. Enemies of God. There's a lot going on in the world today. There's this crazy person in North Korea that's trying to provoke, I guess, the world's strongest army. And, and many times as I've listened to the news and read the different news and, and what they're doing, and I've read different articles on, you know, this is how it's going to go, or if he does this and we do this, this is, I've read all kinds of different things like that. And um, in my mind, as an American, I'm thinking this. They have no idea. We would wipe them flat off the face of the earth. That's, that's what I'm thinking. You know, I mean, because they, they are uh, completely isolated. They only have a certain amount of resources. And when that's over, it is over for them. They are done. And so I'm thinking, they are absolutely crazy to provoke this amazingly powerful nation, military nation. Well, how foolish do you have to be? How crazy out of your mind do you have to be? And, and then I think America and our power don't hold even the slightest candle to the power of God. Not at all. I mean, because God could do with America what we think we could do to North Korea. I mean, just, just like that. How foolish to think that being an enemy of God is not something to be terrified of. And, and not just that, how foolish of us who aren't enemies anymore to think that it's not a tragic deal to not warn those who are enemies. If you don't change sides, it's going to be bad. Is it foolish or is it selfish? Let's remember we were enemies of Christ before God did something about the peace that we needed to have with him. Isaiah 50, 53 says the chastisement of our peace, the chastisement that was necessary to bring about our peace was put upon him, Jesus Christ. And without that, we're still enemies of God. Romans chapter 5 verse 10 tells us that. We're enemies. We were enemies. James 4, if you're a friend of the world, you're an enemy of God. And let's be clear, the enemy of God is Satan. 
So for any person to remain in sin, to remain non-repentant, to not take the peace offering, to not take the sacrifice, to not take the atonement, is to remain on the opposite side of God, which is Satan's side, is the enemy's side. Scripture's clear on this too. We have no hope. We cannot figure it out. We cannot do it ourselves. We can't cross over on our own strength and our own goodness. Romans 3.10, there's none righteous, no, not one. 3.23, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Everybody's without hope without Jesus Christ. We become responsible for our own sin when we can come to that understanding, realizing what sin actually is, the transgression of the law, the breaking of the law. 1 John chapter 3, verse 4 says, For sin is the transgression of the law, the breaking of the law. This morning as the musicians come, that's why I'm saying it's so vital that we get the warning out there. I read something the other day, uh, a Navy SEAL said he had the solution for this, this North Korea problem. And they're not talking about a nuclear, nuclear bomb, not talking about military. Here was his solution. Put satellites over North Korea that beam down internet free. And then drop 25 million iPhones on all the people. Let them access truth. Let them access information. Let them, and they'll turn against that, that dictator. They, they're just isolated. They have no idea. All they have is what's filtered to them. They, they, they just need freeing. They need liberation. Their hope is found in, in, in the truth. If they could just get it. There are people out there that need to be freed. Need to be brought from the enemy side. Over, over to the king's side, but they've got to get the information. Romans tells us that. How should they hear? Unless someone tells them. Unless, unless someone goes. Unless they have a preacher. That's why it's vital to get the good news out there. That's why it's vital to every day be a part of the purpose of our existence here. Because we know, like the two, that as the nobleman said he would return, Jesus is going to return as well. And James chapter 1 tells us that we can either hear the word and do it or hear it only. And my challenge to you is this. This week, let's remember what the mission is. Let's, let's make sure that we remember the mission of the kingdom. The mission of the kingdom is to save the lost, to save that which is lost. Let's make sure and evaluate. My life has been transformed. I, I, let's make sure that. Have you been changed? Have you been saved? There's no doubt in your mind that there was a time that you surrendered your life. And your life has been changed ever since then. It doesn't mean that you haven't struggled. It doesn't mean that you haven't fallen. It doesn't mean that you don't still struggle with sin today. We all still struggle with sin. It's the battle that we have in this flesh. But your life has been changed. say yeah absolutely well let's make sure let's make eternally sure that we're motivated to serve the king to serve the Lord because we trust him we believe him we believe that he's going to return to this place and he's going to judge the world in righteousness that those who aren't on his side, those are his enemies, that he's going to 
destroy them eternally. They're going to be eternally in torment in the lake of fire. Let's let our trust in his words, trust in him, be our motivation to serve him. Let's go out this week and make an impact. Not because it's us, but because we're yielding ourselves to him. Heads bowed and eyes closed. I want to ask you this morning. I'm going to ask you to raise your hand or stand or do anything, but if you're here this morning and you're one that says, I'm not sure that that my life has been changed. You're here and you say, I've been in church. I've heard the gospel. I've even said a prayer. But I don't ever remember a change in my mind. I don't remember a change in my heart. I don't remember a change in my desires. I just can't remember that. Eternity's too long. Hell's too hot to chance it. I would make 100% sure if you're not already that heaven's your eternal home. You say, I I just don't know what to do. I want to encourage you to come at this invitation. There'll be two ministers down here. They can open up God's word and show you word for word, verse by verse, what it takes to be saved. But it's a surrender. For you Christians, for us Christians, are you on board with the mission? For America, early on, it was our freedom. It was our rights they were fighting for, securing for us. As as the children of God and the army of God, it's eternity for those around us. Are you fighting for that cause? Are you a part of that? If not, let's start today. You know what? I'm going to start being engaged in the mission and the purpose. The whole reason why Jesus came to this earth, to see the lost saved. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the challenge again that it gives to me. We see that your purpose was clear on this earth once again. And I know we've seen it over and over in this study, but God, that should speak to us. It shouldn't, we shouldn't be seeking to be entertained or, 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 or see our own needs met, but we should see our trust in you. We should see that you're, you made it very clear what our purpose is on this earth. And when we devote ourselves to you and focus on you, you see that our needs are met. You see that, that we're taken care of in this life, but help us not miss it, God. Help us not miss our purpose to be the light that you've called us to be. And help our trust in you be the motivation for our service. Not because we have to, not because it's, it's some responsibility or some job, but God, because it's a privilege to serve the King of Kings. Lord, the, in your grace, we don't deserve to be your child, let alone do more than, than just be your child and serve you. God, help us be motivated. And I pray you move now in this invitation in Jesus' name.